Chapter Five of the Channings. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. The Channings by Ellen Wood. Chapter Five. Roland York. Just without the boundaries, in a wide, quiet street called Close Street was the office of Richard Galloway, Esquire, proctor and steward to the dean and chapter. Excepting for this solitary office, the street consisted of private houses, and it was one of the approaches to the cathedral, though not the chief one. Mr. Galloway was a bachelor, a short, stout man, shaped like a cask, with a fat, round face, round, open grey eyes that always looked as if their owner was in a state of wonder and a little round mouth but he was a shrewd man and a capable he was also in his way a dandy dressed scrupulously in the fashion with delicate shirt fronts and snow-white wristbands and for the last twenty-five years at least had been a mark for all the single ladies of helstonleigh to set their caps at of beauty mr galloway could boast little but of his hair he was moderately vain a very good head of hair it was and curled naturally but hair let it be luxuriant enough to excite the admiration of a whole army of coiffeurs is like other things in this sublunary world of ours subject to change it will not last for ever and mr galloway's from a fine and glossy brown turned as years went on to sober grey nay almost to white he did not particularly admire the change but he had to submit to it nature is stronger than we are a friend hinted that it might be dyed mr galloway resented the suggestion anything false was abhorrent to him when however after an illness his hair began to fall off alarmingly he thought it no harm to use a certain specific emanating from one of her majesty's physicians extensively set forth and patronized as an undoubted remedy for hair that was falling off mr galloway used it extensively in his fear for he had an equal dread both of boldness and wigs the lotion not only had the desired effect but it had more the hair grew on again luxuriantly and its whiteness turned into the finest flaxen you ever saw a light delicate flaxen exactly like the curls you see upon the heads of blue-eyed wax dolls this is a fact and whether mr galloway liked it or not he had to put up with it many would not be persuaded but that he had used some delicate dye hitherto unknown to science and the suspicion vexed mr galloway behold him therefore with a perfect shower of smooth fair curls upon his head equal to any young beau it was in this gentleman's office that arthur channing had been placed with a view to his becoming ultimately a proctor to article him to mr galloway would take a good round sum of money and this had been put off until the termination of the suit when mr channing had looked forward to being at his ease in a pecuniary point of view there were two others in the same office the one was roland York who was articled the other was joseph jenkins a thin spare humble man of nine-and-thirty 
who had served mr galloway for nearly twenty years earning twenty-five shillings a week he was a son of old jenkins the beadsman and his wife kept a small hosiery shop in high street roland yorke was of course not paid on the contrary he had paid pretty smartly to mr galloway for the privilege of being initiated into the mysteries belonging to a proctor arthur channing may be said to have occupied a position in the office midway between the two he was to become on the footing of roland yorke but meanwhile he received a small weekly sum in remuneration of his services as joe jenkins did roland yorke in his proud moods looked down upon him as a paid clerk mr jenkins looked up to him as a gentleman it was a somewhat anomalous position but arthur had held his own bravely up in it until this blow came looking forward to a brighter time in the years gone by one of the stalls in helstonleigh cathedral was held by the reverend dr york he had also some time filled the office of sub-dean he had married imprudently the daughter of an irish peer a pretty good-tempered girl who was as fond of extravagance as she was devoid of means to support it she had not a shilling in the world it was even said that the bills for her trousseau came in afterwards to dr york but people you know are given to scandal want of fortune had been nothing had lady augusta only possessed ordinary prudence but she spent the doctor's money faster than he received it in the course of years dr york died leaving eight children and slender means for them there were six boys and two girls lady augusta went to reside in a cheap and roomy house somewhat dilapidated in the boundaries close to her old prebendal residence and scrambled on in her careless spending fashion never out of debt she retained their old barouche and would retain it and was a great deal too fond of ordering horses from the livery stables and driving out in state gifted with excellent qualities had her children been born but of training in the highest sense of the word she had given them none george the eldest had a commission and was away with his regiment roland the second had been designed for the church but no persuasion could induce him to be sufficiently attentive to his studies to qualify himself for it he was therefore placed with mr galloway and the church honours were now intended for gerald the fourth son theodore was also in the college school a junior next came two girls caroline and fanny and there were two little boys still younger haughty self-willed but of sufficiently honourable nature were the yorks if lady augusta had only toiled to foster the good and eradicate the evil they would have grown up to bless her good soil was there to work upon as there was in the channings but in the case of the yorks it was allowed to run to waste or to generate weeds in short to do as it pleased a noisy scrambling uncomfortable sort of home was that of the yorks the boys sometimes contending one with another lady augusta often quarrelling with all the home of the channings was ever full of love calm and peace can you guess where the difference lay on the morning when the college boys had gone up to crave holiday of the judges they had not obtained it at least not from the headmaster 
Arthur Channing proceeded as usual to Mr. Galloway's after breakfast. Seated at a desk in his place writing, he seemed to be ever seated there, was Mr. Jenkins. He lifted his head when Arthur entered with a, Good morning, sir, and then dropped it again over his copying. Good morning, replied Arthur, and at that moment Mr. Galloway, his flaxen curls in full flow upon his head, something like rings, came forth from his private room. Good morning, sir, Arthur added to his master. Mr. Galloway nodded a reply to the salutation. Have you seen anything of York, he asked. I want that deed that he is about finished as soon as possible. He will not be an instant, said Arthur. I saw him coming up the street. Roland York bustled in, a dark young man of twenty-one, with large but fine features and a countenance expressive of indecision. Come, Mr. York, you promised to be here early today. You know that deed is being waited for. So I am early, sir, returned Roland. Early? For you, perhaps, grunted Mr. Galloway. Get to it at once. Roland York unlocked a drawer, collected sundry parchments together, and sat down to his desk. He and Arthur had their places side by side. Mr. Galloway stood at a table, and began sorting some papers that were upon it. How is Mr. Channing this morning, Arthur? Much as usual, thank you, sir. Certain news which arrived last night has not tended to cheer him. It is true, then? remarked Mr. Galloway. I heard a rumour of it. Oh, it's true enough, said Arthur. It is in all the morning papers. Well, there never was a more unjust decision, emphatically spoke Mr. Galloway. Mark you, I am not reflecting on the Lord Chancellor's judgment. I have always said that there were one or two nasty points in that suit, which the law might get hold of, but I know the whole cause by heart, from beginning to end, and that money was as much your father's as this coat that I have on is mine. Tell him I'll come in one of these fine evenings and abuse the injustice of our laws with him. Will you? Yes, sir, replied Arthur. What's this row in the college school about a destroyed surplice and the boys not getting their holiday through it? resumed Mr. Galloway. Oh, they are not savage, struck in Roland York. The first thing Todd did when he came home to breakfast was to fling over his bowl of coffee. He was in such a passion. Lady Augusta, she came down to breakfast this morning for a wonder, boxed his ears, and ordered him to drink water, but he went into the kitchen and made a lot of chocolate for himself. What are the particulars? How is it done? I cannot understand it at all, said Mr. Galloway. Bywater left his clean surplice yesterday in the vestry, and someone threw ink over it, half-soaked it in ink, so the choristers told Tom, answered Arthur Channing. In the afternoon they had service late, you know, sir, waiting for the judges. Bywater was not in his place to sing the anthem, and Hurst sang it, and it put the master out very much. Put him out all the more that he has no one to punish for it, laughed Roland York. Of course Bywater couldn't appear in his stall and sing the anthem if he had no surplice to put on, and the master couldn't tan him for not doing it. I know this, if it had happened while I was in college school, I'd have just skinned some of the fellows alive, but what I'd made them confess. Suppose you had skinned the wrong party, cynically observed Mr. Galloway. You are too hasty with your tongue, Roland York. My nephew Mark ran in just now to tell me of the holiday being denied, and that it was the first I had heard of the affair, 
Mark thinks one of the seniors was in it, not Gaunt. Arthur Channing and Roland York both looked up with a sharp, quick gesture. Gaunt accepted. The only senior besides their respective brothers was Harry Huntley. It's not likely, sir, said Arthur. A senior do it, scoffed Roland York. What a young idiot Mark Galloway must be to think that. Mark does not seem to think much about it on his own account, said Mr. Galloway. He said Bywater thought so, from some cause or other, and has offered to bet the whole school that it will turn out to be a senior. Does he, though? cried York, looking puzzled. Bywater's a cautious fellow with his money. He never bets at random. I say, sir, what else did Galloway tell you? That was all, replied Mr. Galloway. And if you wonder at a staid old proctor chattering about this desultory news with his clerks in business hours, it may be explained to you that Mr. Galloway took the greatest possible interest, almost a boyish interest, in the college school. It was where he had been educated himself, where his nephews were being educated. He was on intimate terms with its masters, knew every boy in it to speak to, saw them troop past his house daily in their progress to and fro, watched them in their surplices on a Sunday, during morning and afternoon service, was cognizant of their advancement, their shortcomings, their merits, and their scrapes. In fact, the headmaster could not take a greater interest in the doings of the collegiate school than did Mr. Galloway. Whether of work or whether of gossip, his ears were ever open to listen to its records. Besides, they were not so overburdened with work in that office, but that there was ample time to discussing any news that might be agreeable to its master. His work was light, his returns were heavy. His stewardship alone brought him in several hundreds a year. The Reverend Mr. Pye seems uncommonly annoyed about it, sir, Mr. Jenkins ventured to put in. To interrupt or take part in any conversation was not usual with him, unless he could communicate little tidbits of information touching the passing topic. You are aware that Mr. Harper, the lay clerk, lodges at our house, sir. Well, Mr. Pye came round last night, especially to question him about it. What could Harper tell? asked Mr. Galloway. He could not tell anything, except that he would answer for the lay clerks, knowing nothing of the transaction. The master said he never supposed the lay clerks did know anything of it, but he had his reasons for putting the question. He had been to the masons, too who are repairing the cathedral, and they declared to the master, one and all, that they had not been into the vestry yesterday, or even round to that side of the college where the vestry is situated. Why should the master take it up so pertinaciously? wondered Roland York. I'm sure I don't know, sir. He was like one in a fever, so excited over it, Harper said. Did he talk to you about it, Jenkins? asked Mr. Galloway. I did not see him, sir. It was Harper told me afterwards, was the reply of Jenkins as he subsided to his writing again. Just at this juncture, who should come in view of the window but the headmaster himself? He was passing with a quick step, when out flew Mr. Galloway and caught him by the button. Roland York, who was ever glad of a pretext for idleness, rose from his stool and pushed his nose close up to the nearest pane to listen to any colloquy that might ensue. But, the window being open, he might have heard without leaving his seat. I hear the boys have not a holiday today, Pye, began Mr. Galloway. 
no that they have not emphatically pronounced the master and if they go on as they seem to be going on now i'll keep them without it for a twelvemonth i believe the inking of that surplice was a concocted plan look you galloway to to what asked mr galloway for the master stopped short never mind just yet i have my strong suspicions as to the guilty boy and i am doing what i can to convert them into proofs if it be as i suspect now i shall expel him but what could it have been done for debated mr galloway there's no point in the thing that i can see to ink and damage a surplus if the boy to whom it belonged had been inked one might not have wondered so much i'll point him cried the master if i catch the right one could it have been one of the seniors returned the proctor all his strong interest awakened it was one who ought to have known better evasively returned the master i can't stop to talk now galloway i have an errand to do and must be back to duty at ten he marched off quickly and mr galloway came indoors again is that the way you get on with your business mr york york clattered on his desk i'll get on with it sir i was just listening to what the master said it does not concern you what he said it was not one of your brothers who did it i suppose no that it was not haughtily spoke roland york drawing up his head with a proud fierce gesture mr galloway withdrew to his private room and for a few minutes silence supervened nothing was to be heard but the scratching of pens but roland york who had a great antipathy to steady work and as great a love for his own tongue soon began again i say channing what an awful blow the dropping of that expected money must be for you fellows i'm blessed if i didn't dream of it last night if it spoilt my rest what must it have done by yours why how could you have heard of it last night exclaimed arthur in surprise i don't think a soul came to her own house to hear the news except mr york and you were not likely to see him he left late it is in everyone's mouth this morning i had it from hamish he came to the party of the knivets didn't hamish get taken in laughed roland he understood it was quite a lady's affair and loomed in dressed up to the nines and there he found only a bachelor gathering of dicks hamish was disappointed i think he fancied he was going to meet ellen huntley and glum enough he looked he had only just heard of the loss interrupted arthur enough to make him look glum rubbish it wasn't that he announced at once that the money was gone for good and all and laughed over it and said there were worse disasters at sea Nivet said he never saw such a fellow carry ill news off with so high a hand had he been proclaiming the accession of a fortune instead of the loss of one he could not have been more carelessly cheerful channing what on earth shall you do about your articles the question that caused the greatest pain especially when put by roland york and arthur's sensitive face and arthur's sensitive face flushed you'll have to stop as a paid clerk for interminable years jenkins you'll have him for your bosom companion if you look sharp and make friends cried roland laughing loudly no sir i don't think mr arthur channing is likely to become a paid clerk said said jennings not likely to become a paid clerk why he is one if not if he is not one i'd like to know who is channing 
You know you are nothing else. I may be something else in time. Quietly replied Arthur, who knew how to control his rebellious spirit. I say, what a rum go it is about that surplice, exclaimed Roland York, dashing into another topic. It's not exactly the mischief itself that's rum, but the master seemed to be making so much stir and mystery over it. And then the hint at the seniors. They must mean Huntley. I don't know who they mean, said Arthur, but I am sure Huntley never did it. He is too open, too honourable. And you don't pretend to say that Tom Channing and my brother Jer are not honourable, fiercely interrupted Roland York. There you go, York, jumping to conclusions. It is not to be credited that any one of the seniors did it still. It is not to be credited that any. It is not to be credited that any one of the seniors did it. Still less, if they had done it, that they would not acknowledge it. They are all boys of truth and honour, so far as I believe. Huntley, I am sure, is. And of Tom, also, I conclude you feel sure? Yes, I do. And I am sure of Jer York. So, if the master is directing his suspicion to the seniors, he'll get floored. It's odd what can have turned it upon them. I don't think the master suspects the seniors, said Arthur. He called them to his aid. You heard what he just now said to Galloway. Jenkins, there is a knock at the door. Jenkins went to open it. He came back and said Mr. York was wanted. Roland lazily proceeded to the outer passage, and when he saw who was standing there, he put himself into a passion. What do you mean by presuming to come to me here? he haughtily asked. Well, sir, perhaps you'll tell me where I am to come, so as to get to see you, civilly replied the applicant, who bore the appearance of a tradesman. It seems it's of no use going to your house. If I went ten times a day, I should get the same answer, that you are not home. Just take yourself off, said Roland. Not till you pay me, or tell me for certain when you will pay me, and keep the promise. I want my money, sir, and I must have it. We want a great many things that we can't get, returned Roland in a provokingly light tone. I'll pay you as soon as I can, ma'am. You needn't be afraid. I'm not exactly afraid, spoke the man. I suppose if it came to it, Lady Augusta would see that I had the money. You hold your tongue about Lady Augusta. What's Lady Augusta to you? Any odds and ends that I may owe have nothing to do with Lady Augusta. Look here, Sims, I'll pay you next week. You have said that so many times, Mr. York. At any rate, I'll pay you part of it next week. If I can't, the whole. I will upon my honour. There. Now you know that I shall keep my word. Apparently satisfied, the man departed, and Roland lounged into the office again, with the same idle movements that he had left it. It was that confounded Sims, grumbled he. Jenkins, why did you say I was in? You did not tell me to say to the contrary, sir. He came yesterday, but you were out then. What does he want? asked Arthur. Wanted me to pay him a trifle, I owe, but it's not convenient to do it till next week. What an Eden this lower world might be, if debt had never been invented. You need not go into debt, said Arthur. It's not compulsory. One might build a mud house outside the town walls and shut oneself up in it, and eat herbs for dinner, and sleep upon rushes, and turn hermit for good, retorted Roland, 
you need not talk about debt channing i don't owe much said arthur noting the significance of york's concluding sentence if you don't someone else does who ask hamish arthur went on writing with a sinking heart there was an undercurrent of fear running within him had been for some time that hamish did owe money on his own private score but this allusion to it was not pleasant how much do you owe went on roland oh a twenty pound note would pay my debts and leave me something out of it said arthur in a joking tone the fact was that he did not owe a shilling to anyone jenkins do you know what i am to set about next he continued i have filled in this lease jenkins was beginning to look amid some papers at his elbow in answer to the appeal but at that moment mr galloway entered and dispatched arthur to get a cheque cashed at the bank End of chapter five